Hello, everyone, and welcome to the San Juan Snowcast. I'm your host, Chris. Today is Wednesday, February 21st, 2024, and you're tuned in to episode 11. Well, 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 here we are, folks, entering our last week of February. Can you believe it? This winter, like every winter, has seemingly flown right by. And soon, well, it's going to be March. And you know, this year, the spring equinox is on March 19th. So, doing the math, we're less than a month away. That's right, there are just 27 days left in the winter of 2023-2024. Hmm. But hey, don't get all gloomy just yet, because here in Colorado, we know that springtime can often bring around winter 3.0. And let's not forget that March lays claim to the title of being historically the snowiest month in Colorado. I personally think that this season is going to provide plenty more backcountry powder days before it finally rolls over to full-on spring. And a change to our mild weather? Well, it's on the horizon. In this week's podcast, I'll start with the state of the snowpack take a look at the current weather trends we've been seeing, and check in on the status of our El Nino. Then I'm going to discuss our spooky moderate persistence lab, talk about my favorite on-the-fly snowpack observation, the pole penetrometer, which is not nearly as nerdy as it sounds, and then take a gander at the long-term forecast. Oh yeah, it's exciting. Finally, I'll wrap up this week's episode by sharing what the future generation thinks of the backcountry. Yeah, I asked a group of high schoolers in Telluride what they think of the backcountry, and their answers might surprise you. Honestly, I've got faith in the Gen Z, folks, so stick around to catch all that at the end of the episode. Well, on a different note, in the last episode, I whispered the W word, and what do you know, the winds came in hard. It's currently gusting into the 40s outside my house here on Wednesday, so hold on to your hats and good luck folding your skins. The snowcast starts now. The Snowcast is supported by the Peter Ingalls Avalanche Education Fund, aka the Pi Fund, creating opportunities for increased backcountry awareness and avalanche education across the Telluride region through public events, avalanche course scholarships, and community service projects like the Backcountry Radio Program. To learn more about the new radio channels, go to telluridemountainclub.org backslash radios. Also, the Telluride Mountain Club, working hard to preserve and enhance Telluride's outdoor recreation by way of trails, climbing, the Via Ferrata, and backcountry awareness. Support local recreation at telluridemountainclub.org backslash donate. And Mountain Trip, a small company guiding big mountains. From ice climbing to hut trips to avalanche courses to climbing Denali. Check out mountaintrip.com to book yourself an adventure. And also, thanks to Jagged Edge Mountain Gear, the best backcountry ski shop in the whole San Juans. Oh yeah, I said it. Visit Jagged Edge on Main Street and Telluride for all your backcountry needs. Well, you know what, folks? Let's actually kick things off this week with a look at the community calendar. Tomorrow, Thursday, February 22nd at 6 p.m. at the Wilkinson Public Library, the Telluride Mountain Club and the Peter Ingalls Avalanche Education Fund are hosting the last event of the year in the Mental Health in the Mountains series. We've teamed up with the Tri-County Health Network and the Telluride Library to screen the film To the Hills and Back, produced by Sherpa Cinemas and the Utah Avalanche Center. 
It's a beautifully crafted film that definitely hits hard. And with the collective trauma that we've all experienced over the years from losing community members to avalanches, well, this film is sure to resonate. After the film, there will be small breakout sessions with mental health counselors to offer support and guidance for those who have experienced loss in the backcountry. That's 6 p.m. at the library this Thursday. Okay, I want to plug another event going on in Telluride that we are just three weeks away from, and that is the Skidola. What's the Skidola, you ask? Well, it's Telluride's annual uphill sufferfest. Skin, snowshoe, or slog your way up 1,800 vertical from the Oak Street Gondola to the top of the ridge or the top of the gondola. This event is awesome. It also happens in the summer, where it's known as the Rundola, but in winter, well, it's not any easier. And as always, it's going down on Pi Day, March 14th, 3.14, to honor and memorialize Telluride legend Peter Ingalls, and also to raise funds for the Peter Ingalls Avalanche Education Fund. This year, we've got La Sportiva sponsoring the event and providing demos to take up the hill. There's also going to be a Pies for Pie and Gear silent auction, as well as prizes for the best costume and, of course, the middle place. After the race, we do awards and an after party at Oak, the barbecue joint, before the annual torchlight parade comes down the mountain, thanks to Tully Red Ski Patrol and San Miguel Search and Rescue. Folks, I won't lie, it is always a good time, but this year, well, we're hoping it's the best ski dola yet. So, sign up now by visiting runreg.com backslash skidola. That's runreg, R-U-N-R-E-G dot com backslash skidola. And now, the state of the snowpack. Well, folks, the snowpack of the San Juans is currently sitting at 93% of its 30-year normal. And for those who didn't listen to last week's interview with Adrian, the 30-year normal is, and I quote from the USDA website here, quote, a measure of central tendency for a data type, such as snow water equivalent, at a site location over a 30-year period. The 30-year interval was chosen in agreement with the World Meteorological Organization standards. The median is the middle point for a range of observations, and it may differ from the average for that same data set. Because the median is the center of a data set, it may provide a better indicator than the average of the true central tendency for a range of observations. The median is less affected than the average by outliers, or large hydroclimatic events that can skew the distribution of the observations. Many stations collecting hydroclimatic data are prone to these extreme events, where a few high years can impart a large influence on the 30-year average. End quote. And there you have it. That's from the USDA themselves, a quick explainer of the 30-year normal, and also why we look at the median snowpack numbers. So, we're at 93% across the whole San Juans of our 30-year median snowpack. But the San Miguel and Dolores River basins are at and slightly above the median, while the Uncompagre and Animus basins, well, they are below the median. In fact, the Animus basin draining Silverton and Red Mountain Pass to the south is at just 89%. To put this winter into context, we're closely mirroring the snowpack of 2021. And when looking back at the last seven winters, well, this is the second worst one since the miserable winter of 2018. But it only looks bad in comparison because, to be honest, we've had some pretty good winters recently. And this year, in general, is still pretty close to the 30-year normal overall. And lately, our snowpack has been slowly inching up this past week. 
In the last episode of the podcast, I discussed how there were no major storms in the 10-day forecast. But there have been some little dust-ups out there, with a couple of 3-inch snowfall events happening on Thursday night and Friday night of last week. And in addition to those dust-ups, we've had some nice overcast days that have helped defend against the great oppressor, the sun. Temperatures have also been quite mild in the last week, with generally warming temperatures in the last few days. And all of this has helped our snowpack settle and gain a little bit of strength. And in fact, for the first time in a while, I observed some rounding going on in the snow at the middle and the top of our pack on a tour I went out on this morning. So in general, the recent mild weather has been doing overall good things to the snowpack. That is, until the winds came. And in fact, since last recording, we've had several wind events that have done a number to the Alpine. The first one came immediately after I uploaded the last pod, Wanda heard me, and it gusted into the 30s and 40s out of the southwest. Then we had a few days of lighter winds over the weekend, but the strong winds returned on Monday night and have been gusting into the 60s out of the southwest across most of the northern wands and into the 40s across the southern wands here on Wednesday. Now all that wind took our fresh snow from the weekend and blasted it across alpine start zones, elevating our avalanche hazard in the north sand wands to considerable above tree line due to wind slabs. Now, turning towards the avalanche problems, since the last episode, we've continued to live in our low likelihood, higher consequence regime of spooky, moderate, persistent slab. And for the last several days, we've also added wind slab above treeline due to those strong southwest winds. Prior to today's danger rating going to considerable, we had been consistently at moderate danger since last week. And folks were beginning to step out into bigger alpine terrain. This past weekend, I was teaching an avalanche course at the top of Red Mountain Pass, and we watched several different groups ski big lines above treeline on northeast through southeast aspects throughout the day. My students asked, but hey, Chris, isn't that where we have overlapping avalanche problems, wind slab and persistent slab? To which I replied, yes, very good, my level one students. These other folks were skiing avalanche terrain, where the avalanche problems were listed for that day on a day where human triggered avalanches were possible. And they were not triggering avalanches. One of my students then asked, so is that like rolling the dice? I let the question linger in the air for a moment. My reply, well, in a way, yeah. I then went into talking about the favorable slope shape, how these folks were skiing big planar slopes, skiing one at a time, doing things to stack the odds in their favor, the moderate danger, blah, blah, blah. But still I said, it's a game of odds, a game of chance. If there's a chance it could slide, there's a chance it couldn't slide. And you're ultimately making a bet that the odds are in your favor, and it won't. That night, the course homework was to check the field report section of the CAIC and see if there are any avalanches or pertinent observations that came in from that day. The next morning, a report came through of a skier-triggered avalanche that involved two people getting caught and shallowly buried in Commodore Basin, just a few ridges to the north from where we were that day. Yeah. Now, luckily, everyone from that incident was okay, but the continued presence of human-triggered persistent slab avalanches just underscores the reality that, man, maybe it is just a gamble sometimes. We may try to make ourselves feel better by thinking it's a roll of the dice plus some favorable terrain shapes and snowpack observations, but at the end of the day, the likelihood is where all the uncertainty lies. We know the consequence. That's plain and simple and easy to see from the continued recent avalanches. And come on, it doesn't look good. 
but the likelihood, that's what we're taking a risk on. That's where we're rolling the dice. And some people get lucky. But folks, I've said it once and I'll say it again. Luck is not a risk management strategy for the backcountry. Luck runs out. So under this spooky moderate hazard that we're currently living in, you want to make sure you've got a heck of a lot more than just luck on your side if you choose to step out in regards to your terrain choice. Make sure you have some damn good reasons to make you feel confident about avalanche terrain these days, because we are certainly not out of the woods yet. In the last 10 days, there were 50 avalanches submitted to the CAIC, 19 of which were human-triggered, one of which resulted in two people getting caught, carried, and buried, one fully, one partially. So, I'll say it again. We are not out of the woods yet, and the consequences of triggering a dangerous persistent slab avalanche should continue to loom large in all of our minds. To wrap up this brief discussion on the state of the snowpack, I just want to share this paragraph from today's regional forecast discussion for the Southern Mountains. Listen carefully. Quote, A wise person once said, Never trust a facet until it's floating down the river. Ha! I actually said that in a recent episode of this podcast. Rhetoric around recent backcountry conditions as heard on the street, in the parking lot, and in website observations has included phrases like, It feels good out there. Or, I notice no signs of instability. Unfortunately, recent backcountry activity has included two large skier-triggered avalanches over the weekend, one involving two burials, and additional skier and snowmobile-triggered slides in days prior. Good group communication and efficient practiced rescue skills undoubtedly contributed to positive outcomes of these recent close calls. These near misses also indicate that while things may feel good on a relative scale, conditions in many areas are not good at all. We are in a lower probability, higher consequence regime, familiar to a snowpack where facets call the shots. End quote. Facets call the shots. <laughs> that is so true. Our snowpack structure still sucks. Don't let seeing other people step out and get away with it lure you into a common trap, the normalization of deviance. Folks, stick to your terrain guardrails and stay diligent out there. As is so often the case with the San Juan snowpack, good things come to those who wait. In spring, well, it's coming right up. Now, before I move on from talking about the snowpack, I want to share one final thought. Currently, and as is often the case here in the San Juans, there is a direct correlation between the depth of our snowpack and its overall strength. The deepest snowpacks in the San Juans where the height of snow, or HS, is 150 to 200 plus centimeters, or in freedom units, that's 50 to 70 inches deep, well, that's also where we have our strongest snowpack. This exists around the higher elevation areas of Red Mountain Pass, especially near Treeline, and also down around Wolf Creek Pass and parts of the La Platas. But in shallower areas, like places with less than a meter of snow on the ground, the snowpack is much weaker. This exists around Tullyride, parts of Silverton, Rico, and in other lower elevation zones. So if snow depth is such a major driver of overall snowpack strength, why not keep track of it while we're out touring around? I've talked about it on the show before, but my favorite snowpack observations are the ones that I can make on the fly without ever having to take my pack off. I can collect dozens of data points about the snowpack while I'm ascending the skin track, just by poking around. So. I present to you the pole penetrometer. 
And no, it's not some fancy thing you have to go out and buy. It's literally just your poll. If you're skinning up the mountain while listening to this podcast, chances are pretty good that you're holding on to a poll right now. Now, first, allow me to define the term penetrometer. Quote, an instrument for determining the consistency or hardness of a substance by measuring the depth or rate of penetration of a rod driven into it by a known force. Hmm. Here's what we do. You take your pole, you flip it upside down, and you jab your grip downward into the snow with a tapping motion. Now, as you push down on your pole, you feel for subtle differences in hardness between the layers, taking, lo- taking note of any strong over weak structure you observe. Then you continue pushing until you hit the ground. Finally, pinch your pole with your two fingers where it meets the snow surface and pull it out to observe the total depth of the snowpack on your pole. Voila! You just got an idea for the general snowpack structure and the height of snow. You can also plunge the basket end of the pole down into the hole you've just made and drag it at an angle back up through the snowpack, feeling those strong over weak layers as ceilings when you pull your pole upward. So I'm 5'9", and my poles are 125 centimeters. So I know that if I plunge the whole pole into the snow before it hits the ground, the snowpack is deeper than 125 centimeters below my feet. Didn't need to take my pack off or even bust out my probe. And in fact, I can usually do this without even breaking my stride. As I'm touring along, I'm constantly using the pole penetrometer to poke into the unimpacted snow just beyond the skin track, gaining many little data points as I move through the terrain. Probing around with my pole off the skin track allows me to track an increase in HS as I move upwards in elevation, any changes in structure on a given slope due to aspect, and finally to find those shallow spots out there. You know, if I'm finding depths less than a meter and a half under my skis, well, then I'm going to be extra cautious around steep terrain, convexities, and I'm going to be choosing my slopes based off of their slope angle, as well as their slope shape and characteristics. If I'm finding an intriguing, strong over weak setup down there with my pole, well, then I'm going to be watching my angles. And I also might do a quick hand pit to dig down and look at that setup more carefully. You know, we can learn so much just by poking with our pole and digging with our hands. And we can do those two things dozens of times throughout the course of a skin track. Then all those data points hopefully help to further inform my descent. So next time you're out, folks, poke around. And remember, the shallower the pack, the weaker the pack. And tread lightly. Funk break! Okay, let's check in with El Nino. Warm sea surface waters have been hanging out off the west coast of South America and the South Pacific, and as a result, we've been under an El Nino advisory, according to the Climate Prediction Center at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. But things could be changing. The CPC recently issued a La Nina watch because it is forecast that we could transition to ENSO neutral conditions by April and switch fully over to La Nina come June and the summer. Now, will this have a major impact on the rest of our ski season? Probably not, because the effects of El Nino are likely to last through May. But with a shifting of the jet stream, anything could happen. And maybe at least we'll get another wet summer under a developing La Nina. And looking at the long-term forecast, well, things are looking favorable for more snow across the wands. First off, we've got a storm that is moving across Colorado here on Wednesday night into Thursday, 
but it's only providing a glancing blow to the southwest corner of the state, so there's maybe a chance of a dusting to a couple inches. Then we're back to mostly sunny skies through the weekend. But on Monday of next week, we've got a storm coming, and this one looks like the biggest storm we've seen since the beginning of February. Snowfall looks concentrated to Tuesday and the morning of Wednesday, and we could see anywhere from 6 to 18 inches across the wands by the end of the storm. Now, after Tuesday's storm, our next chance for snow could be around March 3rd or 4th, so keep those fingers crossed. And for the final segment of this week's show, I've got some insights from the next generation of backcountry skiers, riders, and snowmobilers. Last week was chock full of public speaking for me. I was invited to speak to two different high school groups. Shout out to Wayne's Outdoor Ed class at Telluride High and Ashley's class at Animus High School in Durango. And then I also gave an avalanche safety talk in Ure on Saturday night, hosted by the Ure Mountain Rescue Team. But when I went to speak to Wayne's class at the Telluride High School, I actually brought my microphone along. Because how often do we get to hear what the youth think about the backcountry? What are their impressions, expectations, or insights regarding why one goes into the backcountry? Or what does the backcountry even mean to them? I think it's time we start listening more to the young people, because guess what? They are the future. They're the ones who will take this sport and carry it into the next 50 years, shaping what backcountry culture looks like in a future with more users and potentially less snow. Several of them gave great answers to the questions I asked. What does the backcountry mean to you? And why do you want to go into the backcountry? It's just, there's a lot less people in the backcountry. It's not like surveyed by anyone. It seems it's a lot more like of a memorable experience. I'm going to remember going in the backcountry more than going up on the resort. And the backcountry also allows you to like build jumps and get creative. I love it. How about you? Sure. Um... Overall, it just feels more meaningful to have to put in the work and actually plan for yourself than to just get on a chairlift and go. Um, I think, I mean, to me, the backcountry is just like the parts of the mountains. It's not like controlled, you know, nobody's out there keeping, keeping things in check, making sure it's safe. And I think we go out there to, you know, earn some turns and just have that fun experience you know get out there be away from everybody and doing your own thing kind of it's going out with your friends i think to me it's just like piggybacking off what they said like just an experience that you know you can remember and going out in terrain that you i don't know yeah it's like (laughs) very like meaningful and like a good chance for you to connect with the world and yourself yeah hell yeah there's a lot to learn too like I think that's a good aspect of it like taking this class you know to make sure we can be safe out there like I think it's a good opportunity to keep learning about the outdoors sweet yeah thanks how about from the snowmobile perspective what do you think well <clears throat> I'd say that like the backcountry special almost because it's mm. like when I'm riding you'll get to a spot and stop shut your sled off and then you can just sit there and look over all of that terrain, and you get to see, like, wow. It's a wow factor, I think. Wayne, you got an answer for it? What do you think? The uh, <clears throat> go in the backcountry to just get away from everything, to hang out with friends, and backcountry to me is just being away from uh, civilization for a little bit. Hell yeah. 
Thanks, everybody. Appreciate that. That was awesome. Well, that's it for this week's show. A short and sweet one after last week's longer episode. Hey, a big thanks to the students from Wayne Clark's Outdoor Ed class at Telluride High for their insights. I am super stoked and looking forward to teaching them all a level one course in March. You know, folks, I've been steadily sending out trucker hats, t-shirts, and stickers to listeners just like you throughout the season. So if you're a fan of the show, please help me spread the word by rocking some sweet merch. The trucker hats and t-shirts are $30 a piece and are limited edition. In fact, I only made 15 t-shirts and I've only got a few left. So if you own one and rock one, well, you are in a very special subset of our local backcountry population. I've also got about 15 trucker hats left and those are a collector's item as well. So if you're interested, just shoot me a message on Instagram or send me an email to sanjuansnowcast at gmail.com. Stickers, while not free to me, are always going to be free to you. So if you want some stickers, just shoot me your address and I'll get them in the mail. Also, if you don't already, please subscribe to the podcast and leave me a rating or review wherever you listen to the show. Finally, for this episode's sassism of the week from the folks at the Silverton Avalanche School, I give you this. The map is not the terrain. In a land of 40-foot contour lines, beware the 39-foot cliff. You know, a lot of the avalanches this winter that have been triggered by humans share common terrain characteristics, specifically convexities. You know, we often plan our routes at home behind a computer, and with one meter resolution LiDAR slope angle shading on Caltopo, well, we can get a pretty good handle on the steepness of the slopes out there. But once we're out in the field, we've got to learn how to recognize convexities and avoid them. These trigger points are not only where there is tension in the snowpack, but they also tend to be the shallow spots in the slab, especially above treeline. So, give convexities a wide berth and ski around them when possible. I put a lot of emphasis on reading the terrain and using slope shape, especially planar slopes, to reduce the likelihood of triggering a slab when dealing with persistent slabs. So, thanks as always to the Silverton Avalanche School for dropping the knowledge and also for sponsoring this podcast. And lastly, folks, I gotta come clean. I've been keeping a secret this whole season. Next Monday, I leave the wands behind and I fly to British Columbia for a good old fashioned ski trip with the boys. Yep, me and my childhood friends, these guys I've known since the fourth grade. Well, we all get together every other year or so for a week-long ski trip somewhere epic. And this year, well, it's Whistler, British Columbia. So I'm going to take a week off from the podcast next week, but I'll be back in your feeds March 5th or 6th, so please do stay tuned. You know, Whistler's been having a rough season, but they are supposed to get 40 inches while we're up there. So hopefully I've got some good BC pow turns to talk about when we meet again. And also, hopefully we've got some nice new San Juan snowfall to discuss from next week's storm. So, play safe and take care of each other out there. And until next time... Think snow! Think snow!